Recovery Sort Of is a podcast where we discuss recovery and addiction topics from the perspective of people living in long-term recovery. This podcast does not intend to represent the views of any particular group, organization, or fellowship. The views expressed here are solely the opinion of its contributors. Be advised there may be strong language or topics of an adult nature. Welcome back. This is Recovery Sort Of. I'm Jason. I'm a guy who likes Long John Silvers. <laughs> and I'm Billy. I'm a person in long-term recovery. And today we, uh, you know, in honor of Mother's Day, have brought on Billy's wife, Jen. Hey, everybody. I'm Jennifer, Billy's wife. <laughs> uh, she is a mom, so she is here today. Uh, my wife is currently with the baby who would, you know, completely ruin this audio, and I could not have that happen. Um <laughs> So before we get started, today we're going to talk a little bit about, um, you know, what's going on, obviously, with coronavirus, quarantine, things starting to open back up, how that's going to look in the recovery community, how that's going to cause some confusion. I remember uh, early on when we were switching from in-person meetings to online meetings, Billy had voiced a concern about you know, how are people going to know where to find us when they come out of treatment centers and, and how will they know where to look? And I feel like we made that switch good. And now I'm almost more concerned about the switch back to face-to-face meetings and how that's going to look and be confusing and, and how online places are not going to be able to keep up with what meetings are switching back to open and which ones aren't and what rules go with it. So that'll be interesting. Uh, and I think we're going to kind of talk about that aspect of you know, the, the slow opening of the world and how it affects us. Uh, and also, you know, what's the job of the experienced member in all this and, and how do we guide it and how do we do it safely and, and all those kind of things. Before we get to that, we did have a message on Instagram this week from Stephanie. She said, Hey guys, I just started listening to your podcast and it's pretty fantastic. Appreciate the honesty and application of principles to daily life. Thank you for your shares. Have a kick-ass day. So thank you, Stephanie. That was nice. Nice. Yeah, thank you. Much appreciated. Um, <clears throat> we did post about step five uh, a little bit. Uh, I had asked online if there was a normal person equivalent to step five. <laughs> like, what a, what would a normal person do that would be similar? Because, you know, Billy, we, we've kind of been explaining these steps to the normal person somewhat like since early on and i i don't think we actually did that with step five i think we kind of forgot mm, yeah so, i mean the closest i could think was like say the catholics do the confession type thing but i i don't know if normal people have a way to talk about how what terrible <laughs> people they are maybe they just got to swallow it <laughs> well <laughs> and that's what we that's what i was trying to find out when i posted i try to you know get some information when I post these and, and actually uh, Jen who's sitting next to you, you know, was, was having a little bit of part of that conversation. And also uh, Patty was in it 
and I mentioned therapy and, and Patty had mentioned therapy at one point. And I, I do, I don't know, like that's kind of different, but you also do kind of get a chance to share your dirt at the same time. I know that's not really the goal of therapy. It's not just to go in and share your dirt, but I kind of feel like that's a trusted place where you're able to be more, you know, I could probably tell my therapist some stuff that I couldn't tell a lot of people. Like, well, I guess I'm in a unique position being a in recovery that I tell people most of my stuff anyway, but yeah, I feel like it's safe. Like she's not going to judge me. I'm paying her to not judge me. Right. <laughs> yeah. Huh. Yeah. I've only had limited exposure to therapy. So I don't know. Uh, I've had a lot of exposure to therapy and nobody's ever asked me to share my patterns or delve into that or, you know, um, be really honest and thorough with uh, the exact nature of my wrongs. Um, but I do, you know, I remember Patty saying on there that, she had a therapist that was in recovery. And uh, so if you have a therapist that has that experience and knows what's, what the gist is for that, but generally my therapist, uh, you know, dealt with what is going on right now. They never really went into the, the past to see patterns, except for maybe what traumatic experience might've happened to me, but they didn't ask about my part in it so much. And that's what the steps kind of demand is like looking at things from my perspective, some of the lies that I told myself, you know, for a long, long time and then uncovering them and sharing it with somebody else. But it's my experience. No, I got you. Uh, and I, and I definitely think there there's, you know, quite a few different kinds of therapy and therapists that come from different angles and, and work on different things. A lot of the more modern therapy where it's, you know, CBT or solution focused really doesn't delve into any past issues at all. Um, it's almost unfair. I don't want to get too far off the, the grid with this, but so psychodynamic or psychoanalytic therapy was more involved in like the childhood aspect of it and, and your patterns and all that. And because they couldn't research it well, they, it doesn't stick around. And so now they teach more of the CBT and the solution focus because there's research that shows that it works, which is great. Um, but I don't, I don't think that the connections piece didn't work. I just think it was hard to show with research. And that's kind of a complaint of a lot of therapists is that it's hard to show, but it, it really is useful to form bonds with people and talk about their past. Yeah. Well, maybe that's, aren't you paying a therapist to help you figure out what's wrong with you? Maybe they don't want to know what you think is wrong with you because you're paying them to figure it out. <laughs> I think most people go to therapy because something's wrong right now. And if you don't, if therapists don't get in there and connect with what's wrong right now, they'll lose people. Mm. It takes, that's, you know, if you're going four times in a row and you still haven't gotten any peace right now, them keeping going is not good. And that's wow. <laughs> if you're going to therapy and you want change in four weeks, good luck. That's all I'm saying. It took me at least a year and a half. <laughs> but think about it. What, what spurred us to go to therapy was some sort of crisis. It wasn't like, I mean, from my experience, you know, I was like, I don't need therapy until I've really needed it. And then I was like, please help me. Right. <laughs> right. No, no, you're right. Um, so yeah, that, that was, uh, that was what, basically what it said. We were just trying to talk about what step five could look like for the, the normal person and any insight into that. We came up with therapy, confession, uh, things of that nature. I think, you know, there was this point early in my recovery, my, my sponsor, my first sponsor, he made this point to me. He's like, man, we, we do things in recovery and we just think they're the most incredible things that have ever been done in human history. He's like, 
And you look outside and like normal people do them all the time. And I'm like, what are you talking about? And he's like, well, think about it. We teach each, each other to like, when we're going through something to pick up the phone and call somebody. He's like, that's what regular people do. They pick up the phone <laughs> right. and call their friend. And so I, I think that might be, maybe it's not quite confession, but I do think the goal is to have close friends you can call and talk to about what you're going through. Uh, and that, you know, it's a little different than step five in the sense of there's more to it about getting patterns and establishing that. But just in the fact that you can share it and not hold it in, I think that's a, a key piece too to, to experience in some freedom. Yeah, and I think with most addicts, at least, we share a lot of uh, that underlying like guilt and shame and embarrassment stuff that we don't want to talk about making mistakes or, you know, falling short or whatever. Whereas probably I would guess most normal people that aren't overwhelmed with those negative feelings probably feel a little safer to go to their friends and say, hey, you know, I did this or you know, they're a little more open to talk about those things because they don't have all the overwhelming fear and shame. Or is it that, yeah, they don't feel like we feel like I think addicts feel exponentially. So when they do something shitty, they don't, it doesn't bother them and plague them for life. Like it does <laughs> us. Like, you know, we, we sit and ruminate and relive it and relive it and it fucks us all up today. But normal people are like, nope, I did that. Move on. <laughs> I had an argument with a guy in an online uh, forum in like, I don't know, 2004. And I still have a great comeback that I wish I could go back. And <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> that bastard. Um, so on, on Twitter uh, for this week's topic, at least to get it started, we asked how strict is your quarantine? Um, and of course, you know, my options are never super clear. It's never like laid out. Hey, these are the exact descriptions of what I mean. It's just little short quips to, uh, you know, kind of give you the gist. And so the three options were what's quarantine, I break for pleasure or buy the books. Um, and, and again, I think we're going to see a difference here, just like we did last time, Billy, with it's almost like the Twitter uh, people we have or, or are associated with are more progressive, I guess, or progressive thinking. And I don't mean that in like progressive, like that's a better way, just that category of people. Right. Um, so they had 38 votes total, 60.5% said by the books. Um, so more than half of the people are doing this to the letter, which I, I think is mind blowing for me. I'm doing it well, but I'm not doing it to the letter by far. Yeah, and um, I'm definitely not doing it by the books for sure. And I don't know in this community, I would say most people aren't doing it by the books. No one I know is like, yeah, just stay at home and do nothing. Um, the other thing I hear on the news a lot is that they say a majority of the country wants to stay in lockdown or, you know, wants to stay with restricted measures, the social distancing and that sort of thing. And course those news polls are always suspect too they say a majority of the country you know wants to you know is, is worried about opening up too quickly opening things up and the virus spread but at least in this immediate community around the people that i'm around it's i bet you less than 10 people you know wants to stay in quarantine or in all this restrictive i mean all the people at my work, everyone's like, oh, let's, you know, let's just get back to normal. Let's get back to opening. People that I know in recovery all seem to be. I mean, 
you're probably one of the people that I know that is more concerned or a little bit slower moving. And then I have another friend who's a little bit uh, more concerned who wants things to move a little bit slower. But I think everyone else I know is like, yeah, fuck this. Let's just open back up and get moving. <laughs> Curiously is, is all the other people you're talking about knowing, are they all still working? Yeah, and it's funny when I said that, I just thought about um, like all the people at my work, for example, like, that's because we're still going out every day and doing sort of our normal stuff. So it's like, why are we doing this quarantine thing when we have to go out and work and go to the store? And <laughs> um, I would say, yeah, probably most of the other people that I know are still working. Yes. That's like a, a behavioral psychology, right? Uh, if there's no reward or punishment when we go out, the first time, then we're not going to be worried about going out the second time. Like it's yeah, just right. the human nature. Um, that's like, reminds me of one of my favorite quotes about uh, addicts who are new in recovery. And it says like, what's the worst thing that can happen when you, if you try going to a bar and the worst thing that can happen is nothing, yeah. you know, because then you think you're all right to go a second time. Yeah, And so yeah. it's just, it's interesting. I, I, I mean, I agree. I think there are a lot of people in this community that probably feel different than the national average. Um, but I would also say that like, A, I'm not asking a lot of people. I'm not going door to door in Poland, right? I'm only asking the immediate people in my vicinity. A lot of people in this day and age just don't want to argue or talk <laughs> or think differently. And so they won't even really express an opinion contrary to whatever you're expressing at the time I've noticed. Um, and so I don't, I don't really know. I, I mean, I couldn't even tell you, honestly, I walk my block or I call it a block in front of the city. Sorry. I walk the street in front of my house, uh, every day, just about every day, at least six days a week. And I couldn't even tell you which neighbors go to work and which ones don't and which ones are like following rules and aren't, I have no fucking clue. So I, I really don't know what my general neighborhood's doing. Yeah, that's true. And probably most of the people that are following the rules strictly, I'm not really talking to because I don't see them. Right. <laughs> They're right. just staying home, you know? Right. <laughs> right. Interesting. So there wasn't really uh, there wasn't really any comments. There was one uh, addictivist said, it's pretty strict. Not by the books, though. I might go hug a tree later. And so uh, I kind of feel that I'm I'm. I mean, look, as the guy who says he's he's wants to do this very slowly and isn't ready to do it, uh, I'm not following this by the perfect books. Like, I have deviated when we go to Walmart for groceries. I've skipped on over to the paint aisle to do a little paint shopping, right? Like, I, I'm not – it's not all perfectly essential. I mean, for the most part, we've done well. Um, but I, I'll say right now, as a – as a disclaimer for anything I say for the rest of this podcast, my family is going to see my mother today. My mother still works at a grocery store. So like for all the I'm staying home that I give you, I am breaking the rule today. So, you know, take everything I say with the green. You just spray everyone down with Lysol. I'm just going to, I'm going to drink it. That's my drink for the day. (laughs) Got to get it inside you somehow. (laughs) Um, Yeah. Right. And then getting the sunlight. Uh, <laughs> so to move Take over to getting the sunlight. There you go. Yeah, it's perfect. Uh, so we posted a very similar uh, poll on, you know, on Facebook. And so it, it, it said, so at first it seemed that society was really shaming people who went outside. And now it feels like there's a shift towards ending quarantine 
with many people strongly desiring to have face-to-face meetings. And this, I put, I said, it's not about judgment. I wish it could be done anonymously. I tried to figure out a way to do this poll anonymously, but I couldn't. Um, It's just to get an idea of where people were who were willing to answer this. Uh, And I put that there's no right and wrong. Nobody has the real answer. And so the options on this one were mostly following quarantine, but venturing out a bit, totally following the governor's orders, uh, don't care about any silly rules. And then there was a fourth option that nobody picked, which was meeting up with people in public, which I thought was interesting. Um, but so mostly following quarantine, but venturing out a bit had 57 people. And then totally following the governor's orders had 13. And then don't care about the rules at all had six. <laughs> and so what's, what's your take on that? That's a little different than the Twitter poll. These people are not perfectly following them. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that is a more probably regional, I would say, since it's the group that's in is more local to this area versus Twitter, which is a little more global. And uh, at least like, I think the infections in your local community have a big part to play in how you feel about some of this too. For example, as we've talked about before, in this rural area, we're not seeing a lot of people that are infected or sick or dying. Uh, We aren't seeing this, you know, hospitals being overrun. Um, At this point, like we talked about last week, still, I think you said you knew maybe one or two people, but I don't know anyone who has been infected with COVID. And of people I've talked to and asked, I don't know anyone who's been infected with it, let alone someone who's been incredibly sick or died, at least that knowingly thinks they have it. Almost everyone I talk to thinks they had it at some point or another, but you know, Oh, back in January, I had this cough back in February. I was feeling this, you know, so I think I had it get a ton of that, you know? Yeah. I think in part is a mental trick to justify ignoring some of the governor's orders. Like why he had it. So I'm good. So I can go out because, you know, I think that's a little bit of mental masturbation on justifying your own behavior of ignoring the rules. Um, and I'm probably guilty of that too, but yeah, we just, we don't see a ton of infections and sickness and death in our area. So it's hard to take it completely serious. Yeah. I mean, I, I, I could see that now this is just to clarify, this isn't the Susquehanna group that I took this poll in. This was yes, in the, the B more yeah. group, but it's still, the greater Baltimore area that was mostly yeah, still talking about this area, right? Yeah, uh, Twitter again, like you said, more worldwide. A lot of our friends on Twitter are from the UK. I don't know fucking why, but there's a lot of <laughs> you know British alcoholics that like us for some reason. Um, but yeah, so maybe uh, maybe Europeans follow the rules better. I don't know. Like maybe yeah. there's an entitlement that we have as Americans that we can just do what the fuck we want. I did hear that in some of the Scandinavian countries, they trust their government a little bit more and they're a little more socially responsible than us in the United States. Um, I don't know specifically about England. They were talking about Scandinavian countries. Right. So here's my question. And and this is probably going to get us off track. Like always. Uh, I don't necessarily trust my government that well, but I do feel like, 
those are the people that we elected to do our job for us, right? Those are the people we elected to protect us. And if they aren't making the rules about this quarantine and who can stay home, then the people with all the money that are paying you at your job are deciding whether you're fired or not for not coming in. So it's like, I, I do trust the government more than I trust the people with the money who I didn't elect. What's like, I don't get that. Like, if you don't trust the government, who are you trusting? Um, well, I mean, I think at this point I'm trying to trust my own best judgment. <laughs> you know, well, yeah. Boils down to. I guess this wasn't so much for you specifically, but more in a sense of like for the people who really just don't trust their government to the point of they'd rather not have the government interfere, as they say. What does that look like? Isn't somebody running their life? Isn't somebody setting the rules that they play by? Like they're not. Uh, I think. Uh, yeah, that gets into a whole discussion on whether we're just puppets being controlled by you know, the system or not. But what I've seen, and I do understand this point of view from some people is with all these rules and executive orders and this place can be open and that place can't, what you get is the, a government overtaking of what most people feel like are fundamental rights. And that now all of a sudden, you know, I am not allowed to make decisions on, you know, we let people go out and smoke. We let people go out and drive cars. We let people, you know, live off McDonald's cheeseburgers and fatten themselves up to 700 pounds. You know, we don't start putting all these rules and laws in place to keep people from killing themselves. We let people go bungee jump. You know what I mean? There is a high level of danger in skydiving, bungee jumping, motorcycle racing, you know, all these things that, you know, we just say, hey, we have freedoms in this country. We let people do what they want. Now, all of a sudden, we've said, whoa, wait a minute. Uh, you might be risking your own life or risking someone else's life, so you can't do this anymore. Well, driving, you know, there's a high risk of dying when you go out and drive and not necessarily that you might do it on purpose. It could completely be an accident, even completely something outside of your control. But if we just stop everyone from driving, those deaths would go way down. I mean... And so when you see stuff like this that doesn't seem as extreme as they thought it might have been in the beginning or it feels like it's not as extreme as they thought it might have been in the beginning, now it's starting to be like, oh, so you just get to take away some of my rights because you think it might possibly harm someone like and now I lose my individual freedoms for the sake of other people like that doesn't seem fair. And I want to add that, you know. If you shut it down, and I'm just going to kind of brainstorm with you here for a minute. <laughs> if you shut it down and you tell everybody, all right, now you got to go get government assistance. And you're shutting down somebody's business that they use to feed their children. And then you make them go on a system that is defunct, like it doesn't work, and it's only limited. And then it's like you're the government saying you got to depend on the government to pay your bills and feed your kids now for a little bit. You, you know, and then there's systems that aren't working. And then there's that thought of who's paying this bill, this trillion, trillion, trillion dollar bill that they keep giving out. It's just being put back on the debt of the nation on top of debt, on top of debt. And they're like, this is not capitalism. Hmm. You know what I mean? And throughout time, there has been plagues and things that have gone through the people. And yes, we don't want people to die. We want to see these things go through the FDA and vaccinations and things happen. But you can't, you know, people are going to resist saying 
you have to live off the government that's not meeting your needs for an unlimited amount of time and say it's to protect these people that aren't even maybe in your family. That's a hard thing to, to, to chew on and, um, in America. You know what I mean? So I see where people are like, okay, we, we did this for a, a, a couple months now and the unemployment system that the go that Maryland set up is still not working right. And now it only pays for the rent from my past two months. What am I going to do now? The PPP is only for nine weeks. What are we going to do after that runs out? Are you just going to keep putting it on the, the national debt? That, that bill's got to be paid. Um, so these are some questions that I know conservatives and a lot of those are business owners in our community are thinking about. And they're like, forget this, buddy. When we have eight people who died in Cecil County in two months, let me feed my family by having my business reopen. You know, I don't know. No, and, and all valid points. I, I do think I read the other day we're up to 13, um, okay. but still a pretty low number for the area. And, and yeah, I mean, people have a right to their opinions, their thoughts, how this negatively affects them. I think just to, I think the other side of the story is, yes, people don't want their freedoms taken away. But the first thing like we're guaranteed, because we always like to bring up the Constitution, is like the pursuit of life. Right. And so we don't. We don't tell people they can't do things that harm themselves, but we do limit their ability to do things that will harm others. Um, you know, we used to let people smoke everywhere. But do we at the organization level, we have these rules that you can't dump pollution out. Then people, they, organizations do it. They get a fine. You know what I mean? It's personal. And then there's, are the corporations just getting a pass? You know, I don't know. It's just all these questions. And I, I'm, I'm one of those people that says historically the government hasn't had the average man's best interest at heart. And there's so many cases where we have should have questioned. And, um, you know, I don't know. It, I, there's a balance to it all. And I think not only that, but if you're if you're high risk or you're highly worried about it, no one is stopping you from taking all the precautions you want. And you know what I mean? You can, as an individual, you have the right to stay home and figure those things out. And, and shouldn't unemployment you know. be for those people, not everybody, because there's somebody who's got to pay that. It's not a sustainable system. Well, and that's the thing. And that's what I was getting at with if, if the government doesn't step in and say, hey, people are allowed to or forced to stay home, then the business you're at, yeah, you might be a vulnerable population, but you also might not have a job because you don't show up to work, right? So now you're out of a job. Maybe nobody else is going to hire you because you're in your upper 60s and you can't live off. Like the government's not going to afford, they might pay you unemployment for now. They're not going to for the rest of your life. So now what? You just need to take your life into your hands and go to work? If we said unemployment is for the elderly and the vulnerable and people who are concerned about their families and paid them this extra $600 a week, I mean, how many more people could we protect them for how much longer than trying to say all these people have to get it? You know, it's it's not sustainable. Right. Like maybe we could do a better job at protecting and helping the vulnerable and at risk versus trying to take care of everyone you know, including the people that would go out and work and would rather be, you know, doing something else. Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I, I don't, I'm just looking at like the whole reason I think we did this was to keep the, the emergency rooms and ventilators from getting overwhelmed. Right. It right. wasn't like to really stop people from getting it. And right. I think we've done that. I think we've mm -hmm. done a great job at it. I just, I fear to open back up 
instantly like would be hey what the hell we're gonna overwhelm the system again like we, we beat this and then we decided not to beat it or something yeah uh, and i've heard some economists talk about something similar to you said last week um along those lines when you had said i guess at that last 1918 pandemic thing that the states that opened more slowly had better economic recovery isn't that what you said so i heard actually two different economists this week talk along a similar line and say that if we just open back up but everyone is super fearful then people still aren't going to go out and shop at least not enough to really bring the economy back to where it was so you know these you would hope that the free market would work in this case and the businesses that are taking more precautions, more responsibilities, being more uh, safe, if you will, that people would feel more comfortable shopping at those places versus the places that are ignoring some of the health concerns. Yeah. And so uh, there's probably a billion uh, podcasts right now debating the merits yeah. of opening back up right. versus not. Uh, I don't claim to be any expert. You know, I, I read a little bit of information. I try to take in a little bit of every side and, and do the best I can with that. Doesn't make me the end all be all of great information um, for sure. Uh, I, I do try to count on some experts. So why don't we take our break right here and then we'll come back and we'll discuss the merits of how this affects the recovery community more so, um, which might be a little more in our wheelhouse of expertise. Maybe yeah. I still don't think I'm an expert, but uh, <laughs> so let's hit our voices ad and then we'll be right back. This episode has been brought to you by Voices of Hope, Inc., a nonprofit grassroots recovery community organization located in Maryland. Voices of Hope is made up of people in recovery, family members, and allies. Together, members strive to protect the dignity and respect of those that use drugs and those in recovery by advocating for treatment, support resources, and mentoring. Please visit us at www.voicesofhopececilmd.org and consider donating to our cause. All right. Welcome back. And so uh, to hop back into how this opening up the country and the world affects the recovery community, one of the things I experienced with my home group was we meet on Sunday nights. And so last Sunday after you know we recorded the podcast, I get a group text message that says, hey, uh, and it's one of our more experienced members in the group. Um, and so just to explain the group dynamics for my home group, uh, people who live in areas that have recovery houses might understand this. Where my home group is, it's surrounded by a few recovery houses, and that's generally who comes to the meeting and who is home group members. Um, there is a gentleman in recovery that that owns the three of those recovery houses, and that is the majority of our home group membership is from his houses. Um, and generally, he's like the guy who's had the time at the meeting for quite a while, and, and he's doing a great job. He's helping a lot of people. Uh, I, I love him dearly. Um, it does slightly affect the dynamics of the home group that he is the guy with the time and, and all the other members generally don't have much time being that they're in recovery houses. And not many people seem to stay at that meeting afterwards for whatever reasons. Um, so anyway, we get out of the podcast last week. I get a text message that says, hey, uh, my brother is having uh, an in-person get-together meeting-ish type thing at the park at 7. And like my, my thought is uh, our home groups at seven thirty, 
right? Like, how's this going to work that you're meeting at the park at seven and we have a online home group meeting at seven 30. Um, and so, you know, some people commented, it was a group text. Oh, Hey, yeah, that sounds great. Blah, blah, blah. So I'm like, look, I'm not going to go. I'll make sure I keep the online home group portion open for the newcomer because anybody that's coming out of treatment right now is going to be told, Hey, go online and find your closest online meeting. Right. And it'll be online. And that's what online our area website says. We have a meeting online Sunday night, 730. So I went on uh, one gentleman from our, our neighborhood uh, joined the meeting. Him and I actually ended up talking for like 45 minutes, just about whatever, which was nice. Uh, it was it was nice conversation. Three other people popped in for like five seconds, I guess, and saw that there was two people and just bounced right the hell back out. Um <laughs> understandable. I can't say I'd blame him. Uh, and so, but that was the entirety of the group was, was him and I talking for 45 minutes or so. And so I waited a couple of days. I let the feelings pass a little bit. And then I texted back to the group text, uh, you know, Hey, we, we need to figure out what we're doing. Like if this in-person meeting is a regular thing, maybe we need to reevaluate whether we have an online meeting because we need to tell area where we're meeting at or that we're not meeting. Like we, we can't have it on there that we're meeting online and then everybody's not online. And so there was a lot of discussion about it. And I tried to explain the dynamics of, of group conscience. Cause these are all newer members. Right. And I'm like, look, it's not about who's right or wrong. It's not about being mad or not. We are a group. We vote as a group, whatever the group votes is fine. I just need to know. I don't want the area's website saying we meet online and then we don't. Um, and so there was a lot of discussion there was talk about maybe they could meet in person on a different day and still do the online meeting. Um, and, you know, the there was a, a point made by the experienced member who, again, I love dearly. I'm not trying to, to knock him, but he kind of said, like, look, I don't get what the big deal is. If you want to go to the in-person meeting, go to it. If not, go to online. And I took a little offense to that and I responded and said, I'm, I'm not going to sit online by myself weeks on end at the home group just because it's nice weather outside. Like that's, that's not fair to me. Right. I'm not doing that. Not signing up to be a part of a home group where I'm the only one sitting in the online meeting being responsible, which is how I look at it as being responsible to our, our objective um, of showing up for the still suffering addict. So basically it came down to, they took a vote. They want to meet in person. I said, Hey, is this a, uh, you know, good weather or bad weather meeting because if so i will tell the area that this is where the meeting is at the park seven o'clock and they're like well no we don't know and i'm like okay then we should probably just suggest the area that they take it down off their website like right now we're just closed and we don't meet and so that just became the the you know the, the consensus which is fine that's group conscience that's how that shit works i'm not bitter about it i'm not mad at anybody um i just I, I see how it could get really tricky, especially with groups who don't understand as much about reporting to area or the responsibility of making sure that the schedule's right. Like I could see where this could get tricky, where we go back to face-to-face -face meetings, but don't tell the area and it's not right on the schedule. And what's the job of the experienced member? Is it to make sure that the meeting's still open for the guy coming out of treatment who's going to look for the online meeting? Or is it to make sure that the people in the meeting have great mental health by making sure we have in-person meetings at the park. Like is the experienced member not supposed to have 
park meetings when I don't know that that's in line with the governor's guidance? Like, there's a whole lot of questions here, right? And I'm not, again, to reiterate, I'm not mad or bitter. It is what it is. The group just voted, and then I respect the group conscience, but it does kind of leave me without a home group uh, at the moment because I'm not ready to go in person. Um, so what's what's everybody's thoughts on that? I've talked enough. Yeah, it's a challenge. You know, it's a definite challenge. And I don't think, like most of these issues, I don't know that there's a right or wrong answer. There's a definite uh, way forward. I mean, as you were sitting here sharing, I just was kind of thinking – could the potential of meetings having an online presence just be a thing that happens in the future going forward when we're not in a pandemic? I mean, all of a sudden I have a meeting each week. We meet at our normal place, but we have a laptop there or some other means of, you know, streaming that meeting online. Like, is that, a? I mean, obviously there's a bunch of challenges to doing something like that, but is that a potential, you know, future of meetings is that we have both. Um, yeah, understanding group conscience and what, again, getting back to the purpose of the meeting, you know, I hate to say, but it sounds like there's a feeling in your home group, maybe that the meeting is about me, not you, but, you know, those individuals, Am I getting what I need here? And as long as I get what I need and, you know, me and my people are taken care of, then everything's good. And I don't have the wherewithal to look outside of myself to the bigger picture of people that aren't at this meeting or newcomers or anyone that's not me and mine. Um, I think that's the goal of recovery. That's the goal of working steps is to develop this uh understanding that, hey, the things that I do and the way that I live and the way that I carry myself in a world doesn't just affect me or mine. It affects everyone. And I should take some responsibility for how I conduct myself in the world and my responsibility to my you know community at large. Um, and it sounds like there's some individuals that feel like, well, as long as I get what I need out of the meeting each week, I don't really care what happens to everyone else. And that's a shame. You know, that's a shame, especially when it comes from more experienced members. I think that, uh, you know, the role of the experienced member, you know, in that situation, you know, when it takes step work, you know, particularly 12 step to understand, you know, how we, you know, conduct ourselves, like Billy was saying, for the newcomer and carrying the message. And it takes group members that are involved in service. So if you have a home group that's full of a lot of new people that haven't really worked steps or traditions or even been in service at any level beyond a home group that has one experienced member that doesn't do those things either, um, you know, it can be a little rocky. But, you know, I do believe that that God is in those meetings as well in a group conscience. So. For me, the role of an experienced member would be to make sure I feel like everybody has a voice in that group conscience. And however it goes, just know that that's God's um, intent for that meeting at that time. But it comes down to my own personal responsibility for my own recovery. You know, um, why am I in that meeting? Is this meeting a good meeting for me? Um, am I getting 
as well as giving in this home group. Um, you know, I'm not a fan of just ditching home groups when it gets rough, but I also have ditched uh, home groups when they it was just like beyond me and I didn't want to have conflict. Um, you know, if I try to talk it out and work it out with my sponsor and talk it out about what's going on with me. Uh, but sometimes, you know, I need to, I have left meetings because I need to be around meetings that have experienced members that can show me a way. You know, I can't be always the leader of every group I go into. I need like some people who are working steps traditions and to, to, to be able to talk to every week about those issues so that I'm receiving as well as giving. But um, yeah, like Billy said, you know, there's some groups I know that have taken themselves off the home, the area list um, and there's links, but they're still meeting in Zoom together um, and word of mouth. Um, and sometimes like Billy's meeting in person uh, and they're just closing it down for uh, to be advertised. So they don't have to commit to anything really. Um, then there's other home groups that are like, no, we having online meetings and making sure we're accessible to the newcomers. Super important to us right now. And I think when I go online, I can see I, when I go to the like free state region, that's our local region. NA, I can go to, you know, I can find a meeting at any time of any day that's online, you know? Um, so there's a lot of options right that out there right now. It's I'm super grateful for. So all those things got to be weighed out, you know? Yeah, there is there is meetings on the hour, every hour, from somewhere, somehow. Like there's even 24-hour marathon meetings that are just put on. So there's always a meeting. So it's not like if my home group doesn't meet online, that there's not some resource for somebody. I, I agree. Um, and, and that's not, you know, I do want to say uh, I appreciate the the thoughts. I, I uh, some of it was, uh, I don't know, just, I guess, cause I, I do like the guy so much. It was a little, seemed a little harsh and it's just, it's tricky to navigate. Right. When, when we talk about the idea of taking care of me and mine that bit that Billy mentioned. And, and I mean, that is kind of how I think we all operate, right? Like the, yeah, I love my recovery community, but my family comes first, right? Like there is a me and mine that comes before that. And I think he puts so much, love into those recovery houses and trying to help people that I do think those feel like family members to him. Right. And so I, if you're sitting there watching the, the 12 to 20 people in your, you know, three houses that feel like family suffer because they can't meet in person and all be down in the dumps and you think you have a solution and it also helps your problem yeah. of feeling bad. Like that sounds like a great solution to me. Um, yeah. And, and, so I, and I didn't mean that to maybe sound so harsh because same like, okay, my home group decided to meet in person this week. And then same, it was a kind of a group text and around, hey, are we going to meet? And this is where we're going to do it. And it's like, yeah, that's great. That's what we're going to do. And that was kind of it. And it, I didn't intentionally not think about the online presence of the meeting, but someone else brought that up, not me. You know what I mean? Another member of the home group said, well, yeah, what are we going to do about the online thing? And it was kind of like, oh shit. Yeah, I guess we have a responsibility there. So some of that, I don't mean it to be like it's a – my selfishness isn't always a conscious choice. <laughs> it's it's the lack of uh, awareness, the lack of being a little more open-minded that gets me into trouble. So I don't think – you know, and again, I don't think that anyone was like, ah, fuck those other people. You know, I don't care yeah. about them. I definitely don't mean it that way. Um, 
it, it but it it's you know that's where my addiction gets me into trouble it's the subtlety of it it's the way that it works in the background of my thinking you know that gets me into trouble most of the time yeah uh you mentioned another thing about the hybrid meetings this is something i've been like thinking about since i don't know maybe like week two that i did the online meetings i was like man this is fucking great we need to do this permanently um, and it actually spurred from, I had visited a meeting. This was in Anne Arundel County. At one point, they had a home group member who went overseas for work and wherever they were, they never did say where, but wherever they were, they didn't have any meetings. There were no meetings in that country whatsoever. And so every week at home group, they would Skype them in. Now, I don't think the member ever shared from being Skyped in, but they at least attended and got to hear the meeting. Right. And so that kind of combined with doing this online, I was like, I've been trying to scheme how we would do this. I'm like, all right, we need a laptop. We need speakers. We need like a Bluetooth microphone that can be set on the table near whoever's sharing. That way they can participate and not be here and hear everything. And it's like, I, the, people have got to make this work because this sounds awesome. to do. <laughs> I knew when we were traveling and I had sponsees home that were celebrating and they would put their phone, their mobile phone in front of them so that, I could participate, but I didn't get to, I didn't speak, um, but I got to hear them share. And people in the meetings, there were some meetings that really got pissed off about that. It felt like it was um, a breach of confidentiality. Yeah, it was like uh, losing their anonymity. Um, just, you know, so I don't know how the pandemic might have changed some people's perspectives on that, you know, which I welcome because. I really believe that those people who are out there in places that don't have regular meetings could have an opportunity to still partake in the community of recovery through this. I've been, I've joined a new group that I've kind of called my home group during the pandemic as a women's meeting. Um, and it's not posted anywhere, just a bunch of women in recovery that get together on Wednesday nights. And then by word of mouth, we, we offer the invite to other women. But um, I love the meeting so much. It's like that's the one I go to every week. And um, we were talking about when the pandemic's over, we're still going to do this, you know, because it's one hour. We can do it home because all of us have kids that, uh, you know, run our lives. <laughs> so it's hard to get out. So this is a great uh, opportunity. Yeah, I would agree. It's it's a, afforded me the opportunity to hit more meetings per week when I choose to because I, I don't look. You can say it's just an hour. It's not a fucking hour to go to a meeting for me in the area I live in, and, and I know other people are even further from meetings. But the area I live in, by the time I get there, have some conversation, it's at least two hours, more likely three. Mm -hmm. And so to have an actual hour out of my day on an online meeting is much easier and much more convenient. Um, yeah. I was thinking I've been put on speakerphone to listen to a couple anniversaries too, because of having school <laughs> or some nights and, and home group members that I really wanted to hear. And so, yeah, I, I do think this does take on a different look after this. Um, I guess for me, I don't want to be home group less. I don't want to be homeless as we call it. Um, and so since I can't, I'm well, I'm not willing to go to this uh, meeting at the park, which I even if I wanted to, I really don't think it's legal. I can just imagine the police pulling up and me being like, motherfucker, like I didn't belong here. Um, I guess I need to find an, an, an online home group for now because I don't know how long this is going to last. Right. Like if we're back to in-person meetings in a month, well, then maybe it's not that big a deal. But if it's another three, four months, I need an online 
home group. Um, and so I guess that's, that's another piece of like, when is it time to switch home groups? Right. You kind of brought that up a little bit, Jen. And, and like, I had a therapist years back tell me that she had meetings five minutes from her house, but she never got anything from them. So what was the point? And she'd rather drive an hour to where her home group was to get something out of it. And I well, look, when I got up here, I knew this meeting was kind of the way it was like mostly newcomers and everything. Right. And this is where the great debate happens. Uh, so I've been to meetings where they got overrun with recovery houses in the area and it became overwhelming for the more experienced members who didn't feel like they were hearing what they needed to hear. They felt like they were hearing about all the recovery house problems while they were in the meeting. And so they would do things like start another meeting in the back of the meeting, right? Oh, we'll have a just for today or a step meeting in the back. It's smaller. Okay, well, I don't know that that helped any of the newer members at all, right? Like, yeah, it, the experienced members now get what they need out of the meeting, which is great. And, and I get it because I've been to these meetings and thought the same thing. I get nothing out of this fucking meeting. Um, but what is the responsibility of that experienced member? Like, I knew the situation when I got here. I knew that the experienced people in this area generally don't go to this meeting in town, right? And I said, well, somebody needs to show up for newer members, somebody needs to have them help them hear something outside of, you know, what they hear in their living arrangements. That should be me. I, I'm going to take that responsibility on, but what is the responsibility? Are, are we allowed to start meetings in the back? I know we have a goal of getting what we need, but we also have the responsibility of showing up for the people who come after us, just like people did for us. So Hey, let me jump in on this one first. So I've been to some meetings that have been really big. They were so big that they would have those breakout meetings in the back. And I believe that it's an awesome thing because whatever you need when you go there, you can decide. I want to hear a great speaker meeting. So that would be the speaker meeting would be the big meeting. And there's a lot of newcomers in there and it would attract them, you know, the listening and the entertaining and the sharing and the heartfelt stuff. And then there would be like a step meeting in the back. And so people who wanted that more intimate, I'm working on my steps, I need to focus, I need to concentrate, they would meet in the back. And I thought it was the best of both worlds. So say one day you go there and I'm like, I don't want to look at myself. I just need to be re, <laughs> I want to listen to somebody else. I need a hoop shot. I could sit in that big meeting. And then for people, you know, knowing that that meeting is there too. And it's the same people, which is kind of cool that they all mingle before and after. It kind of, what I would call the winners, but most, you know, a lot of the winners are in that step working meeting, but they're mingling with everybody else, too. That's my theory. Now, uh, so I like it. I think that it's a it's great. It's the best of both worlds. And ultimately, though, the responsibility of the person with the experienced member is to make sure that you're still here in the long run. Um, I remember going to a meeting, a convention meeting, uh, and I it was, I had like five years clean. Right. And, um, I went to this convention meeting. My sponsor at the time was starting to fade out of the program. And, uh, I, and the topic was how to keep the old timer connected. So I went to this meeting trying to figure out how am I going to get her back in? Right. And, uh, I was kind of disappointed to hear the speaker talk about you make sure you're, you're okay so that you can be the old timer. Right. Make sure you have a home group that you share at. Make sure you have a sponsor. You only go to one meeting a week. Make sure it's a home group that you're committed to. 
that uh, you'll call them and tell them you're not coming. So people know where to find you. And um, so I think I used to be the kind of person who's like, oh, I need to go to the meetings with the newcomer are so I can carry a message of growth and recovery. And that lasted for so long. I mean, then I just felt like I was unique, painfully unique in a room full of people that I was different from everybody else that, um, and giving out of my cup all the time that it took more work to fill it. And with more job responsibilities and family responsibilities, my time became more limited than it was in the beginning, you know? So now I believe that having a home group that you get as well as give is super important, um, that you're around other people who have, uh, you know, things to give you is the best thing a person with experience can do <laughs> for themselves as an experienced member. But so, yeah. And I think, you know, our role as experienced members is to have that wherewithal to know, you know, in my recovery, there's been periods of time where I've been in a really good space and I've been able to give a lot and, you know, I've had it to give. And then there's been times where I'm not there and it's that, you know, support group and that ability to know uh, my own mental health, my own mental and spiritual well-being um, that I, I'm trying to think of that word. I can't think of what it is, but, you know, it's, it's my responsibility to react to my own mental health and spiritual health and do what I need to do to get what I need. So there are going to be times where I have plenty to give and there are going to be times where I kind of need to take a little more and that's okay. That's normal. You know what I mean? That's normal and responsible to be able to say, Hey, look, I just don't have it to give right now. Um, it's the equivalent of like sponsorship. Like you just can't sponsor everyone in the world all the time and be like, well, somebody's asking and someone needs my help. So I just have to give to the point where you're stretched so thin or, or put in an unhealthy place where you either can't help them or it's too much of a burden on you. You know, this is just a different uh, area, but the principles are the same. Knowing what our own personal limits are, knowing what our own personal health and well-being is and trying to balance out like, OK, I'm in a position where I can give or I'm in a position where I don't have it to give. And that can change every day. Right. So having a home group is your steady. Uh, it should be the, the place where you always fill your cup. Um, and I'm always willing to be of service, speak anywhere, share, you know, have service commitments, sponsor people. But my steady should be something that is uh, fulfilling to me in my recovery most times. Because you, you can't guarantee that every meeting is different. You know, I can get a meet, something from every meeting I go to. But that home group is a choice of, uh, you know, who are you surrounding yourself with? Who, who, are, who are your people? And just so, one more thing real quick. I have never switched home groups. So they <laughs> <laughs> won my entire recovery never. 19 years. So I've never switched. <laughs> That's funny. Um, yeah. So uh, just to, to go back a little bit to what Jen had said about the, the theory of the meeting in the back, like that was a beautiful laid out theory. Um, and I don't know if you've ever been <laughs> close to any of those type of meetings or people who are home group members there completely not my experience of how they actually work at all <laughs> um, <laughs> what ha what happens is the the home group members get so tired of hearing uh stuff that's not filling them up 
that they're really considering leaving the meeting, but they're trying not to. And so in order as a last ditch effort to hold on, they create this meeting in the back idea. And they don't actually mingle with people before and after whatsoever. It's like two separate crowds almost entirely. Um, the meeting in the back is a pretty good meeting usually. It's a smaller, intimate, positive meeting. Uh, the meeting out front's not bad. It's got, like you said, great speaker energy. That's good. But then when it comes time to celebrate, the people in the back come out front and nobody even knows who the hell they are because they've never seen them before. <laughs> and then those people eventually feel like, damn, I don't even know any of these people. And home group members don't even know each other because some are home group members out front, some are in the back, and then they just leave. And so mm -hmm. it really, it unfortunately does not work in that. Um, but it kind of leads me into another aspect of this. Like, and so, look, I will say, uh, amazingly, and, and I, I always say amazingly, and I feel bad, like that's a put down to, to the newer members or something. But amazingly, anyway, regardless, every week I got something out of my home group. And I thought it was, it blew my mind every week that, that I could constantly get something out of people who were newer and, and really didn't have what I would consider lengthy oh, man. experience, Absolutely. man. But they had so much good stuff. And I was yeah. like, wow, I, I am getting filled up here, right? Yeah. Um, I feel connected. I really like a lot of the people. Um, but but even to tie into the meeting in the back and what's the experience member's responsibility, there's so many options now that weren't there when I first got here. When I got here, it was like, look, you go to AA or NA. That's what we got, right? Now there's, uh, you know, uh, recovery Dharma and, and all these other different things. I, I talked to a guy online who talks a lot about, and I don't even know if this is an actual program, but... Uh, uh, XA, which is just like cross addiction, which is just come with whatever the fuck you got. We don't care if you're a gambler, a sex addict, like whatever. We're all just meet here and talk. And mm. so what's my responsibility to stay in the particular program that helped me get where I'm at if there's all these other options that might possibly be more filling for me? Like, do I need to always stay in this program or can I just stay in some aspect of recovery? Like, what's my job as an experienced member there? All right. So I'll jump into this. But I want to say that, yeah, newcomers are fucking awesome. I can get so much out of them. I mean, I can get more out of somebody with a couple of days and some people with decades. You know, it's like it truly is. But I am, uh, you know. I do have some experience with step work and traditions. And when I talk about six step with people, I need to have some people around me that are more often have worked that too, to know what the heck I'm talking about or, you know, step 12. It's just for me personally. And that goes with the fellowship. So one of the people that I've sponsored, you know, we went through all 12 steps and then at the end of 12 steps, we're like, okay, what do you want to do? Do you want to go over them again? Or do you want to go over them with somebody else? Um, you want to go to a different fellowship and try their steps out, you know? So I sponsored most of my sponsees say, I want to do it again with you. Some of them say, I'll do it again. And we talk about with who else, you know, somebody else to get their perspective. And then I've had one that said, we're going to go, go to AA. She went to AA, work some steps with her. And then they're talking about ACA. And I know my sponsor has worked from Al-Anon uh, steps. So it should be a foundation to me. It should be a foundation of recovery that I never leave for me personally, this is, you know, but I can uh, get things from other fellowships too. It's whatever kind of God shoes you towards, Jason. If you decide that um, 
ACA, which is getting bigger in our area, this adult children of dysfunctional families, not just alcoholics, but some getting to some real issues has, uh, you know, that is an amazing program that I think a lot of people can benefit from. And as long as you feel safe, you know, that's the most important thing. The people like Billy will always be with you, you know, and you can always have an NA home group, but still work. And some people will tie me to the stake for that, you know, for even saying that, um, <laughs> you know, cause, but I do believe, I mean, I'm only an NA, but I do, I'll go to a meeting on a symptom because that's what I view those meetings are is a lot of the other meetings like the sex and love addicts anonymous or alcohol, their symptom meetings, gamble, overeating. I'll go there to talk about my particular symptom that's coming up in my life. And, um, I go there for a while and get what I need. And then I always have NA as my steady because NA in theory is about addiction. You know, that's what it says in our first step. It's not about narcotics, but so often people uh, don't support other addictions common, unfortunately, but. And I'm only ever going one place because I'm lazy and I <laughs> don't feel like trying to, it's hard for me to build relationships. I've worked. <laughs> for years building these relationships and it's just like my home group it's like nah this is just what i do now so i'm committed you're too extreme to the end yeah committed which is why we've been together this is it this is what i'm doing come hell or high water (laughs) right until the rails fall off (laughs) i don't think i was ready to seek outside of na until uh desperation hit obviously same reason that got me here in the first place right like i wasn't willing to put an effort until i just had no other way to move forward um and so i i have definitely experienced a lot of different variety of fellowships and meetings and programs and and you know done some of the work in them i just i guess uh like okay for example, I, I don't even particularly have a qualifier, but when I was exploring all these other fellowships, I was going to an adult child meeting of Alcoholics Anonymous, I mean of Al-Anon, sorry, on Saturday mornings down in Baltimore at 9 a.m. One of the best fucking meetings I've ever gone to in my entire life of any fellowship, for sure. A uh, lot of older adult members, a lot of experience, talked about their problem was dealing with other people which at this stage of my life in my recovery, that's my fucking problem daily dealing with other people, right? I would probably get more out of that meeting than I would any amount of NA meetings throughout the year. So can I, can I, as an experienced member ditch NA and just go help people in Al-Anon? They're not the people who got me here, right? Do I owe NA something? This sounds like a great opportunity to dip in on their online meeting. <laughs> they don't have one. Oh, <laughs> I know. I checked. I was like, oh, that's a great idea. I'm going to go visit them. Yeah. Oh, but I, I guess to answer your question, it's like there isn't a right answer to that. You know, it's up to you how you feel about like I know for myself, you know, because you hear people say things like that, like, oh, if you're not doing service and you're not doing this and that, you're not you know, giving back and you're stealing from the fellowship and all those kind of weird sayings. And I used to think that kind of stuff, but I don't think I do anymore. I mean, over the years I have been involved in service and, and done different levels of service at different times. Um, sometimes to my own detriment. (laughs) And, uh, you know, I don't know that I owe narcotics anonymous 
specifically anything. And that's probably not the right way I want to say that, but I'm just going to say it. I, I, you know, I show up, I do what I can to be a better person to help, you know, myself, my family, my society at large. Um, there's a greater purpose here. There's a, you know, God and a higher power and, and serving, um, sort of society as a whole. And if I can do that within the fellowship, that's great. And if I can branch outside of the fellowship and still continue to help people and grow and change spiritually, there's nothing wrong with that either. Um, and I don't think there's a right way for anyone. Like, you know, it's, it's whatever our spirit guides us to or whatever our spirit you know, tells us is right for us that matters. I mean, if I walk away from a fellowship and I feel like, man, you know, there's some guilt there or there's some uh, feeling that I've left something undone, then maybe I need to look at that. And maybe I do need to, to do something there, but I shouldn't be doing it out of a obligation or out of a, well, now I just have to do this, even though I don't really feel it or I'm not really there. I'm just doing it out of some weird obligation. Um, yeah, but I'm totally in a person like I live, die on, you know, I owe NA my life and, but the people, it's not attached to a pe person. It's like attached to the program. So I could go to any meeting anywhere and, uh, you know, be connected to my fellowship. That's given me the, my life. I mean, I am so grateful. I, I'll always be grateful. I'll always stay in NA. It's how I feel right now, you know, but that could change. But I encourage people to uh, examine that for themselves. You know, not everybody is going to be me, um, but I do try to live by example, not direction. So, you know, if you want, if you want what I have, you're going to do what I do. And that is I am diehard NA. <laughs> <laughs> And I do all the time. No, I, you know, I go to NA and and do that because it meets the need that I have in my life right now. I mean, in doing that, in, in getting that need met and being the best spiritual version of myself, I am best able to give back to other people. It's like the whatever you want to call it, like the chicken and the egg. It's like if I'm not the best version of myself or not you know, living my best life, then what am I giving back to other people anyway? You know, giving some shitty, less, you know, healthy version of myself. And maybe I'm still given, but is the quality of what I'm given really there? And so I think there's been so many good points made um, just about, you know, personal responsibility and personal feeling of whatever it is that I feel I need to do. And I, and one of the things that I always find incredible, and we just had a little situation, uh, you know, on a break there that you guys didn't hear that was about dishwater on the floor. But if you talk to enough people and you talk to people who actually went through situations that you judge from the outside, you start to understand the humanness of why they made that decision on the inside. Right. And so I, this is what one of the things I love about this podcast is that. I get other perspectives. And yeah, a lot of that is, is Billy's perspective, right? Which I, is great because I, don't, I like Billy's perspective. Um, but also on, through a lot of the social media interactions, I get a lot of outside perspectives. And it definitely helps to soften the edges around my views on everything, right? And I get to say, maybe there isn't a right or wrong, right? Maybe there's a way that feels righter for me 
But maybe it's not so much that those people who do the other way are evil. Maybe they just do something <laughs> right. that maybe isn't the way I like it, right? Um, and so just to clarify, I have no grand intention of leaving my home program at this current moment. I have on my calendar a local meeting um, this week that I plan to attend as a possible new home group, at least for the time being. What that means when we come out of all this Maybe I go back to my old one. Maybe I stick with this new one. Who knows? I, I haven't made any decisions. I'd play that by ear, but I don't have any intention of leaving, um, you know, the program that, that saved my life for sure. Not yet, at least. Uh, but I do think that leads us kind of into the conversation of how does this go as we open up? I've heard different theories. I've heard some people are ready to open up meetings now as soon as like the governor will answer this petition and say that we're essential and it's legal like maybe we need to meet either outside or maybe we need to meet inside in groups of 10 or less to spread out six feet apart and if you have more than that then you need more than one room like and you meet in separate rooms of groups of 10 or less and no coffee and 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 you know wiping everything down and what's your thoughts on how does this actually look as we start to do it? Cause it seems like, you know, your home group, my home group, it seems like we're starting to do this, whether it's ready or not. Yeah. And my initial reaction, and again, I try to be open to what the rest of the home group would want to do, but my initial reaction is now we, you know, when the church, if the church were to let us, I mean, obviously we need to follow whatever, precautions or guidelines they deem you know and if the church would let us though i would personally show up there next week and make coffee and have a meeting like normal um that's just again that's just my take i'm not saying it's right or wrong that's just how i feel at the moment is no i'd show up there and we meet same time we always do and make coffee since we can't do that right now we've elected to meet outside at someone's house we're meeting at someone's you know home um i and uh, we talked about this i assume it would be open to everyone i don't know that he would have an objection to inviting anyone although it's hard for i shouldn't just make that assumption i should talk to him first and make sure you know hey is it okay to tell some other people do you care who comes here do you want this <laughs> you know he may say no um, and then there's a decision that we would need to make of like, oh, OK, you know, what are we doing then? Um, but again, I would try to do it as a group conscious. But my knee jerk reaction is now I'm ready to get back to normal meetings in normal conditions. And unless the majority of the group or the consensus of the group was to do something different, that's what I would do. So. And, and I don't, I'm sorry, Jen, if I'm hopping in and you had something to say, but I'm just curious, like your meeting generally has. 10 or less or right around there right my home group right outside of baltimore had 60 every week like how in right. the book, like are the, can they just go open up and also curiously you mentioned you're ready to make coffee why is the not making coffee thing is it because people are sharing stirs or something like what the fuck does the coffee how's that passing the COVID? i don't understand i don't i mean i guess that's the thing like i i don't it's also weird i was in a store the other day and they won't let you get your own ketchup packets but they'll hand you ketchup packets from the same exact bin that's behind the counter i, I guess the idea is that you have less mm. i mean that way you're only interacting with the people behind the counter maybe instead of anyone it. that might touch the ketchup packets i don't know it all seems 
So we can have coffee. We just need a coffee maker now. Like a literally. Yeah. Someone who's got a like, yeah, it's like Wawa where you can't, you know, get your own coffee. We have a coffee maker who makes your coffee for you and then hands you. Antibacterial wipes or something. Yeah. Even if the meetings went back to normal, I'm not going. I mean, I, it'd have to be a small group like Billy's home group is super small. I, I think I would be okay with that, but. Um, I wouldn't go out to meetings, but I think they should be open for people who need to with those precautions. But me personally, I'm not going. So now what does that mean? Do we tell home groups that have less than 10 people they're allowed to open and other ones aren't? That doesn't seem very realistic. And then it seems like everyone's just going to run to the open ones anyway. I don't think so. I think that people are fighting for the rights of meetings to open it, but I don't think people those same people are the ones that are going to run to the meetings. Um, and I don't think there's anybody that can make a rule for all of us. It's a group autonomy, really, even if it's illegal, you know, if that group is willing to say, Hey, we're going to run, we're going to open and we're going to have 20 people. And uh, probably, and you know, nobody can tell them no. And if they are willing to be arrested, God bless you, man. Somebody better have the bail money. You know, <laughs> what are you going to do? That's funny. My initial reaction was that's not responsible, productive members of society. And then my second reaction was we were fucking illegal when we started. Like we weren't allowed to be <laughs> yeah. drug addicts when we started NA at all. So whatever. Uh, I heard somebody else say something about, they would like to have in-person meetings again and they're fighting for that, but they don't want to go into any church locations because they feel like a lot of churches have an older adult population and that would endanger them. And so their argument is to stay out of churches. Yeah. And there, again, there are ways that we can do those things. Um, you know, having antibacterial wipes, wiping down all the tables and chairs, cleaning everything. I don't I don't think we should just act like nothing happened per se. I mean, maybe I came across that way in the beginning, but I don't know that we should act like nothing happened or there's no danger to anyone. Obviously, if we can spread germs and do those things, you know, we should be thinking and considerate about that. But if we hopefully are treating the meeting space like I think most groups should in that you want to go into a place and kind of leave it better than you found it. You want to be responsible for this facility that you're at. You know, we don't want to be throwing cigarette butts around, leaving our coffee spilled on the table. And, you know, a little bit of thoughtfulness as far as getting some antibacterial spray or wipes and wiping down the tables when you're done. <laughs> Mitigate some real problems. Sorry, the dog is panicking because someone came in the front door <laughs> so do do we need as a so this is interesting like okay i hear every group's autonomous and, and we should be able to do whatever uh even if it's illegal and i respect that like i i hear that but i'm also curious if maybe you know talking about some of the things that you just mentioned billy maybe we need a universal guideline Kind of like, you know, it seems like each state and the federal government has come up with their own guidelines of like, this is this what it should look like as we reopen or, or what it should look like before we reopen. Maybe we need guidelines like that. Like, hey, okay, it's okay to open meetings as long as you're going to have groups of less than 10 per room, uh, as long as you're going to be considerate and wipe down things with Clorox wipes or, or some, I hate to say Clorox, that's a brand name, sorry, bleach wipes. Uh, like, 
maybe we need to have a set of guidelines that's universal that that isn't up to autonomy because it you know is just rude i bet you na world services has something on their website you think so mm -hmm. about reopening sort of statement yeah hmm. check it out but that's where you know the experienced members come in is is we can be the example to the other members on how we do these things responsibly you know it's the same idea of making amends well yeah it's great that you go out and make amends but there's a way to do it that's responsible and there's a way to do it that's less harmful you know and this is a similar kind of thing like we can go through this process of opening back up but hopefully we're doing it in a thoughtful and considerate manner of like are we thinking about how this is going to affect people around us not just ourselves maybe not even just the members of you know our particular fellowship but how is this going to affect other people outside of us and what we're doing and and we need to hopefully be communicating with the recovery community in a way that um, opens our eyes to how that's going to work and how that's going to look and like say maybe some facilities aren't willing to let people in so okay if your home group's gonna meet do you want to try to be available to other people? I, I guess i'm sort of thinking now of like okay well as a home group what is your responsibility to i'm going to use the word advertise but what is your responsibility to get your meetings information out to the public do you even have that responsibility i mean i don't know i would think a little bit like how we got to be available right Right. I'm curious how this and just in listening to you, how this affects so many people in recovery already. <clears throat> Groups that, you know, vote six to five that they're ready to open up face to face and how that disenfranchises the five members who aren't ready to show up and how they might need to switch home groups just because the group is ready to meet up and they're not. And it's like for the sake of one member. And I get we trust that. God guides these group conscious decisions the way they're supposed to go. But how many people are going to have to change home groups or, or lose friendships over this debate of is it time to open yet or not? And maybe it's because of the dynamic of my home group. But interestingly enough, like say we have at least two members who are unwilling to meet, you know, and they're not ready to do the, the public meetings yet. So in our case, um, and it was through a series of kind of texts and conversations and stuff. But we we really don't approach it as a like this is what we're doing. And now we're taking a vote. It's a let's all talk about it. We're all particularly we, I'm really lucky in that we all seem to be really close. And there's a pretty level of respect amongst the members that when it became apparent that a couple people didn't want to meet in person, it's like, okay, well, we can still do the online meeting as we meet in person. We can still do both of those things to be available, you know, to the rest of the members too. It wasn't like, well, we're having a vote and this is what we're doing and screw the rest of you guys. It was like, oh shit. Yeah. Let's, let's try to be open to people that have, they maybe think differently. Than and that is the true essence of a group conscience. It's not a vote. You know, it's a conversation and uh, everybody coming to a, a conclusion together. If a group conscience is just going down to just a vote, then I don't feel like it is a true group conscience. It's just a vote. Yeah, OK, I, I definitely buy into that. I, I think uh, the discussion is a huge portion of it, too. Um. <clears throat> I also want to say that you know, 
worrying about losing relationships, it might be an opportunity for people to reach out one-to-one -one more. I know that happened to me during this pandemic is like not seeing people like I was used to forced me to use the phone a little more and do some direct conversation with people, uh, people that I hadn't really had the time for before. It's kind of strengthened my recovery on the one-to-one -one relationship. So there's an opportunity there, you know, and sometimes it is time to change groups. Maybe God does for us what we can't, won't do for ourselves, you know, and uh, we go with the, what is in front of us, the next right thing, right? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. I'm curious, uh, <clears throat> what would look different, Billy, for your group if, say, you had an attendance of 60 each week? Same amount of home group members. Home group members felt the, pretty much the same way as they do now, but you're also taking into consideration the other 50 people who usually show up. How would that look different for you if that was the scenario? Assuming that the member who's having it at their house was okay with any of those people showing up at his house. Um, I think we would just be over the limit of people and the members that are meeting in person. None of us are overly concerned with the magic number 10, you know, that seems right. to be the number of gatherings <laughs> or number of people allowed at a gathering. Um, I think we would just have a meeting of more than 10 people and whoever wanted to show up would show up. Um, and that's just like, say from our conversations of at least half of the members don't, aren't kind of buying into the whole quarantine, social distancing, all this. I mean, me personally, I, if I was going to be around a big group of people like that, I would probably still wear a mask or at least try to be really, uh, personally aware of like social distancing. Um, I can say we, we weren't doing like hugging and all that kind of stuff at the meeting this week no one was quite willing to go that far um although i'm sure if i would have probably started to try to hug people they probably would have let me in some weird way but um yeah i don't know i i mean i would think that we would just have the meeting with more than the i guess legally allowable amount of people i'm just trying to picture literally like 25 to 30 people in someone's backyard spread six feet apart i'm like would you be even able to hear each other like you'd have to fucking shout to, yeah. <laughs> for people to hear you that just seems pretty distant to try to remain so spread out you you bring up another valid point about the hugging though because i have caught myself twice during this uh with neighbors who i never met before but i'm out walking the front street um i've shook hands and been like why the fuck did i just shake that guy's hand uh because it's so <laughs> natural right and so I just can't imagine these groups and, and maybe your your group has done well. It's a smaller thing. People kind of are very conscious about it, I guess. I'm picturing my home group all going to the park. And these people mostly live with each other in recovery houses. I got them motherfuckers hugging each other all day, every day, right? Like oh, yeah. I just think people are gonna go out to these in-person meetings and do what feels natural, just like I shook these guys' hands. Whether they care or not, it's just gonna be a natural reaction. I think that's part of the danger too, is that we are so ingrained to hug and, and be close and personable. Like that's a fear of meeting in person, is that I will do that. Yeah, and, and again, maybe as far as the meetings go, like that's a good opportunity for us as experienced members to set an example of like, Hey, look, we can do this, but there's a responsible way to do it. And there's an irresponsible way to do it. And let's at least, you know, yeah, we can meet in person, you know, we can do some of these things, but let's try to navigate this 
um, in a healthy and safe way. So Jen, uh, with being a member of, you know, voices and, and getting some of this, uh, maybe outside input, people who are calling people who are saying this about what they need and aren't getting, is there anything we haven't really talked about today that you feel pertains to, um, meetings not being open or meetings starting to open that maybe we haven't thought about? Is there an angle we're not looking at? I can't think of anything, Jason. I mean, I know that the people who are new to recovery, um, you know, are feeling awkward about meeting people in general and then going in on these Zoom meetings and that a lot of them don't have the technology um, and have never done that. Uh, so there's a, lots of barriers for new people to engage with the online meetings. Um, you know, we try to hold people's hands and walk them through the process as much as they let us. But the whole being in recovery uh, in is a, is an awkward thing. So we're depending more on that peer to peer support, you know, uh, calling people who are new, who are getting out of treatment, trying to really walk them through and, and give them that extra support that the in-person meetings, you know, the before the meeting, the after the meeting, those are important parts that are not uh, in most online meetings um, that newcomers are missing. So we're staffing more with peer recovery specialists, which are people in recovery uh, and assigning peers to uh, people who call us who are seeking treatment or getting back home from treatment to try to touch base with them as often as we can to, to be that missing piece until they get more comfortable with online meetings and make some relationships on their own. I mean, even trying to find sponsors, you know, I'm like, Oh, all right, go to this woman's meeting, you know, um, let them know that you're new and you're looking for a sponsor. It's just, it's just weird. Yeah. That's, that's, uh, there's a lot going on, man. There's a lot <laughs> going on. I, I think, I think when Billy made the point weeks ago that he was scared, people wouldn't know how to get to meetings. Uh, as we all switched over, I think that is actually going to be more confusing going backwards because when we switched over, it was almost like immediate that everybody did it at the same time and that word could easily spread. But as we go backwards with some groups feeling ready to open quicker than others and, you know, very, it could be months apart. Uh, I think that's going to be really tricky to keep people informed as to, to where's open, where's online, where's not meeting at all anymore. Like, it's going to be really tricky. And it, it will, but I'll say the only, uh, I don't know what it's called, silver lining, but the, the better point about going back to regular meetings is the commitment that it takes to like drive somewhere at a certain time and then show up there and nobody be there. By the time you sort of figure out, okay, where's the next meeting? How close is it to where I am? Is there time for me to get from here to there? Like those are actual physical barriers that you have when you physically show up at a place versus online. Like if I jump into a meeting at seven o'clock and realize, oh shit, nobody's there. It should almost take me less than five minutes to find the next meeting that might be meeting at seven o'clock or to find a meeting that's starting at eight o'clock and be like, oh, okay, well I can just jump back on at eight. And my, uh, what do you want to call it? Like my output of effort is really pretty minimal compared to like now I just got in my car and I drove 35 minutes one way to this church out in the middle of nowhere and nobody's freaking here. Like now I'm pissed 
<laughs> because I got all this effort in. Whereas jumping online and logging into a Zoom meeting is a pretty minimal amount of effort. I swear you have no respect for the molehills that I want to die defending. God damn it. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> uh. So you got anything else for today? I think we covered that pretty well. No. Yeah, I think we covered it pretty well. All right. I think we covered it well for this week. I'm sure it'll all flare back up and, and we'll have more angry discussions. We didn't even talk about the angry guy. On, on, <laughs> shit. That's right. We didn't even go through those comments. And so uh, <clears throat> just real quick, Caroline had mentioned um, she thought I was a, a little you know, biased in my wording and how some of them had overlap. Uh but I know she is kind of um, maybe one of the people pushing for reintroducing uh, in-person meetings. Uh, she's very interested in that. I don't know in what format or if she's personally interested, but I know she has been championing championing that idea. Um, Danielle talked about hiking every day. Uh, Pat said he goes to work, but uh, he definitely has precautions there and he does grocery shopping and he acts, he's been to hardware stores for small projects, which I hear a lot of people are doing that too. Um, <clears throat> Vic said uh, he's forced to go into people's apartments every day and in stores and supply houses. So he's not going to sit in his house in his own time, which I think is a point very much to the point you're making about people who go to work. It's like, once you do that, why are you going to feel like you need to care? Um, Elizabeth said she's okay with wearing masks for months and okay with not being in a crowd. Um, she said if a church allowed it, maybe she'd get to a meeting, but no hugging, no coffee, and not circling up just to be safe. And that is actually something I read about the mask. The masks are making people feel safe enough to go closer than six foot, and that's not actually the goal of the mask. It's you know still to stay apart and have another uh, layer. Uh, Heather said mostly following orders, wears her mask in public. Uh, all her meetings are online and the pharmacy. She does spend time outside and on the trail, but I think that's very much in line with recommendations. Um, and then Amanda says she has to go out cause she's an essential worker, but she would stay home if she could. And I don't see, did the, the, did the argument get deleted? I don't even see that on here. Oh, I had it on mine. I pulled it down, but interesting. I don't I don't see the argument at all. So there was an argument on here between me. Uh I call it an argument, not really so much an argument. Uh but a back and forth that I had with the gentleman. Um yeah, I don't see it at all. I don't I don't know how that just disappeared. Uh but basically he he uh he had a different opinion to mine. Um, and I was trying to be kind and, and respectful and, you know, having discussion about, Hey, this is not what I think. And these are some reasons why I think there's some flaws in, in what you're saying. Uh, and I felt like he, he attacked me with some name calling some, you know, if I wanted to be a sheep, I could be and, and stuff along those lines. And so I did feel good and got my, my last word in and turned the commenting off. And then he, he tried to message me and I just didn't accept it or read it. And that felt good. I was like, well, at least I got the last word in. Yeah. <laughs> um, oh, but it was, my. it was hard. My, my therapist said he's a dick. Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, you have that with all this, there's opinions, you know, extreme to every 
side and and 10 things in between you know you have people that are like oh my god everybody in the world should just be locked in their houses and we shouldn't be doing anything and we should be handling this like china and just physically locking people in their buildings and stuff like that to the other extreme of people that are like this is a hoax and it's 5g and it's government experience you know government conspiracy and you know everyone has an opinion it just right tend to kind of get a little bit extreme. I think, I think this is a place where the podcast has helped me in my personal recovery greatly is that just not to always be so sure that my thinking is right. Right. Like, yeah, I still approve of my thinking and probably think it's the way for me, but maybe just to be a little lenient and and softer with the other people's opinions or the differing opinions. Like, Hey, you know, they've probably got some valid points too. Maybe not, for me, they're not as valid, but they are valid points somewhere along the way. <laughs> right. Um, well, and not only that, but just, you know, what what is right for me might not be right for someone else. You know, it's so it's, hard to understand. I do <laughs> might not be the right decisions for you in your situation. I, I have a question, though, and I would love any conspiracy theorist who listens to us. There <laughs> probably aren't any because we, you know, kind of identify as not that. Um, but for any that do, I have a question that I need answered. And that is, I have never seen two people go into a store and steal a fucking lollipop and not snitch on each other. What makes you think these people can keep this shit under wraps? Right. I don't believe it, man. People will tell on each other over stealing a pack of bubble gum. Like what the fuck? People can't keep a secret. That's crazy. Yeah. That's what I I heard a long ago about all these conspiracy theories. Like you could take... They take a couple of facts and then link them with some hypotheses and come to some crazy conclusion. But if you look at the reality of what it would take for, like, say, you know, five people to, like, build a house and keep it a secret, you you know, it would just it would never happen. Somebody's going to leak. Somebody's going to tell something. Something's going to get out. And some of these conspiracies would take, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of people to pull off. (laughs) So before we go, I wanted to share with you the flowers that Billy got me for Mother's Day. Aren't they pretty? Flowers, yes. And to remind everybody that today is a great day to make amends to your mother. (laughs) (laughs) Be a good mother. And hopefully you have uh, people in your lives that uh, treat you well. If you're a mother, like yeah. I have with Billy. So. And for clarity, that doesn't mean go dump all your secrets on your mother today. <laughs> that means, right, right. No. That means indirect amends through a phone call and love and you Flowers, know some appreciation. <laughs> Don't go rushing out doing your ninth step until September when we've covered it and tell you how to do it. <laughs> <Yeah>. right. <laughs> right. But yeah, happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there and. Yes, happy Mother's Day. Just to qualify, I made my wife an English muffin and coffee this morning. God damn it. I did something nice. Nice. (laughs) Um, But yes, happy Mother's Day, Jen. Absolutely. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers out there. Uh, If you're listening on a podcast, uh, you know, modality, we also post this on YouTube and it ends up getting what I like to call not so bonus uh, material of where we (laughs) bullshit before and after and in the breaks. Um, So feel free to check that out as well. Uh, as always, you can, you know, email us or, or message us or get in touch with us any kind of way and participate. Find us on social media. We love all that input. Um, we thank you for joining us and we'll see you next week. Bye now.
That wraps up this episode. Please subscribe, rate, and review this podcast on your preferred platform. If you have ideas for topics you'd like us to talk about or just want to add an opinion, contact us through Anchor, email us at recoverysortof at gmail.com, or find us on Twitter at recoverysortof.